for five weeks, we will unlock some untold sides of famous biblical characters and situations to find the compassionate heart of God that extends both grace and mercy to the broken individuals in which he chooses to use. And, and last week, we looked at the uh, untold sides of Noah, and in doing so, we looked at how the compassionate heart of God extended grace to Noah, it, uh, it extended favor to Noah, making him righteous because of his faith alone. Now, if you have not listened to the start of our series, I would encourage you to find it on our website or uh, on iTunes or Google Play Music. This week, however, we are going to explore our Sunday morning series, Untold, with a look at some of the untold sides of Moses. And the story of Moses is one that has so many sides to it. His story takes up all of the books of Leviticus, Leviticus, I mean Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. Moses is perhaps one of the most unknown, yeah, sorry, one of the most known Old Testament story characters. And it's one that is very familiar to us. It's hard to find sides of the story of Moses that we don't know. And I I spent the time reading those three uh, books this week, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, and Number, and there wasn't any parts to it that we haven't preached well. With Noah, there was lots of parts that we have not preached well. But with Moses, there's a lot of things that we have told. But this morning, I hope that as we look at a story of Moses that we know well, that in doing so, we'd be able to shed some new light on it. Now, when we illustrate Moses, can you go back a slide for me? I don't, I don't have control. When we illustrate Moses and talk about him with our kids, we tend to depict him as a strong leader. Moses was really, though, a deeply broken guy. For some reason, when we draw him in hindsight, we draw him as this big, uh, speaking of beards, he usually has a big white beard. He's very strong. He's got some type of staff. He's always in some type of command. But Moses was a deeply broken guy. He was also a strong-willed guy. He's a, a guy who murdered somebody and ran away only to encounter this one verse that says God almost killed Moses. As an orphan, he grows up a prince, only to become a murderer who runs away from everything that he knows. Moses wrestles time and time again throughout his story with deep insecurities of his own identity. And he repeatedly finds ways to question God's authority. Anytime God gives him a directive, Moses finds ways to question it. And despite all of this, despite his insecurities, his brokenness, We see that God lets Moses stand in his presence multiple times. And he gives him miracles. He gives him people to walk the journey with. He opens doors for his safety. And then God uses Moses to lead people, his people, God's people, out of captivity. And if that isn't enough, God then uses this insecure, broken Moses who murdered somebody to establish the strongholds, the culture, the laws, the commandments, and the rhythms for the Jewish people and for their DNA as a nation. That's a huge thing to be entrusted with. Now, throughout the story of Moses, we see the compassionate heart of God time and time and time again extend mercy to Moses and to the people that he's leading. He constantly, God constantly teaches and invites them to depend on him. And 
to trust him to be their everything. And time and time again, Moses and his people mess it up. They don't get it. They questioned it. After Moses has murdered an Egyptian that he witnessed beating a Hebrew, he runs away, only to encounter the presence of God in the burning bush. As the great I Am encounters Moses in his matter, we know the story well. Moses is told to kick off his sandals. He's standing in the presence of God. And in that moment, in his insecurity, we find that Moses questions what God says no less than six times during that encounter. Now, I don't know about you. If I encounter a burning bush that is telling me things about myself and telling me what to do, I'm not questioning the burning bush, yes? Moses is so driven by his insecurity. That even encountering God in this way, he lets that rule the day. Out of mercy, each time, the Lord affirms him and responds to him with reasoning, with kindness, and with answers. In Exodus 4.1, we see this. We see that Moses questions again as he says, Moses answered, what if they do not believe me? Lord, you're telling me to do that. What if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me? And what if they say, the Lord definitely didn't appear to you? We know this story well. The compassionate heart of God responds to Moses questioning with mercy. He tells him, then throw down your staff. It'll become a snake. When you pick up your staff, your snake by the tail, it'll turn back into your staff. And then the Lord tells him, if you put your hand in the cloak and you pull it out, it'll become leprous. If you put your hand back in, it's going to get healed. The Lord gives him a third sign. He says, and then if they still don't believe you, you take some water from the Nile and you throw it onto the ground and it'll run like blood. So even though Moses is questioning the authority of God, God says, hey, I got your back. Here are some things I'm trusting you with. God has appeared in a burning bush. He has performed three miracles at Noah's hand. Now how does Noah respond? Again, with questioning and from this place of insecurity. Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Moses, who gave you your mouth? Now go, I will help and I will speak and will teach you what to say. Moses, don't worry about it. Stop saying, I'm not elegant. Stop saying, I'm too insecure to do that. I'm not good enough for that. I'm saying that in my mercy, I'm going to stand with you. I'm the one to put the mouth on you. I know what you have. So how does Moses respond to that comment from God? God affirms him. God mercifully tells him, I've got this. Even after that, Moses' response is, send someone else to do it. He doesn't get it. He hasn't let God's mercy, what God is speaking over him, what God is calling to him, redefine his identity. Send someone else to do it. 2005, I was speaking in Southern California at a, uh, a church. It was a Presbyterian church that was on the campus of a college. And I was to speak before a doctor, a guy that has a doctorate. And I was speaking and I, uh, there was a, a worship leader, he performed, and then it was going to be me, and then a doctorate, right? And so I stood up, and I began to uh, teach, and, and I taught on whatever I was supposed to teach on. And afterwards, I left the stage, and it was a very dry audience. It was about 300 people. It was a, they were in pews. They were just very dry. They weren't engaged. And I went, 
wow, I'm a really bad speaker, and I, and, I, and I felt really insecure about it. And so I went, they had kind of this green room, this backstage where you could sit and drink water and kind of just listen to the Lord. So I went back there rather than listening to the doctor. I figured there's no way that uh, that's going to look good after this doctorate is speaking after me, after this doctor of ministry is speaking. And so I just kind of went in the back room and felt insecure about my presentation. And as I was praying and I really poured out to the Lord, Lord, I know you told me to do this. I know you've given me this message. Why is it that I feel insecure about it? Much like Moses, what I heard in that moment was this. I have called you to this, and I have named you my own polished speaker. Now, he didn't say the elegant line, right, that Moses says, but he said, I have named you to be my own polished speaker and gave me an image of Moses. Now, I allowed that to shape my identity uh, long term, but in the moment, I still was like, okay, that's great, God, but it still makes me feel bad when I'm on the pulpit and there's a doctor following me. After that, though, I found myself humbled as the guy that spoke after me came up to me and spoke to me and said, I had a hard time speaking after you because you spoke with something that touched me. And it made him insecure in his own way. And so when God speaks something over us, or when God is speaking over Moses, it is important that we allow what he's speaking to us to shape and affect our identity and not just the moment. However, finally, the mercy of God appeals to Moses again, and Moses finally follows God's plan. We know this. We read in Exodus 4, 29-31, Moses and Aaron brought everyone together, and all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything that the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed, the staff, the hand, the water, and when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen them in their misery, they bowed down and they worshipped. Now, I love the realization that the elders have here, that these, these leaders of God's people, the Hebrews, have why they're in captivity, right? Sometime at the time of night, Moses and Aaron sneak into camp of these exiles, these captives that are forced to work for Egypt. And he pulls them aside. He says, listen, leaders of the people, God is with you in his mercy, even though you're in misery, and I'll prove it to you. I'm going to turn my staff to a snake. I'm going to put my hand and make it leprous. And I'm going to make water turn like blood. They're in this tough exile and journey, and in the midst of that, they taste the mercy of the Lord. And when they witness that the Lord is concerned about them in the middle of their journey, in the middle of their misery, they bow down and worship God, and they celebrate. Yes, truly, God loves us. Yes, truly, God is here with us. We thought he had abandoned us, but really, he's here with us. For some reason, it's easy for us as God's people to forget that God really does extend mercy to us in misery. We actually usually allow our identities to say that we are abandoned by God in misery rather than that he is there with us. The Lord kept his promise to care about them in their misery. He, he had Moses and uses Moses to appeal to Pharaoh. And however, Pharaoh believes he's God. He believes he's the morning sun and the moon. And he thinks he's above everyone in power. However, God says, I am and he, stand, he sends in plagues and the death of the firstborn. And finally, the Israelites taste their freedom. And the little promise of God is they are kept in safety and as a journey with Moses out of Egypt. But even though the Lord followed them from that moment and brought them out of their captivity, the minute they get out, the minute they get out, 
They forget about the compassion, the compassionate heart of God that they just had celebrated was with them in misery. They felt abandoned. And as a result, their community that is in exile together and on journey together becomes defined not by their God encounters, but by their grumbling. That never happens in churches, right? Despite their forgetfulness, the compassionate heart of God, once again, and consistently and constantly extends mercy to them. Moses and the people that he is leading continue to hear uh, this teaching on mercy and invitation from God to depend on him despite their brokenness. Three days after they're on the journey, they have this sense of freedom again. They find themselves dancing with tambourines and with songs. And just a little after that, after this celebratory experience... They realize they're thirsty. Man, it was really fun dancing and celebrating how God's with us. But now God's not with us because I'm thirsty. I'm not getting my way. God must have abandoned us because otherwise my throat wouldn't be so parched. So what happens? The people grumble against Moses saying, what do we have to drink? I love this image. They don't complain to God. God is taking care of them, yes? Every point up to this. So who do they attack? They attack Moses. They don't even complain to Moses. They grumble about, against him, the scriptures say. That's, what they're saying is they talk about his behind his back. If this were a church, we might say, instead of going to Moses and questioning his leadership, they're complaining about him in a parking lot. But they're hoping it gets back to him. If this were Facebook, we'd say these are the people that complain about a situation or others in their Facebook post and pretend that the other people aren't going to see it. Or they're the people that go around and leave bad reviews on every Facebook page with a business that does something they don't like. So how does Moses respond as people grumble? He rightfully turns to God. But the image we get is that he's kind of whiny and insecure as he approaches God. He says, then Moses cried out to the Lord. He cried out, I don't know, God, what did you do with me? Luckily, again, the Lord is full of mercy, and it says, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it in the water, and the water became sweet. Now, I don't recommend this uh, to try to fix drinkable water, like if you're hiking and you see a stream and you think, that water looks really nice. Don't try throwing a piece of wood in there to to, uh, make it drinkable. But the Lord takes time to not only make the water drinkable, but he actually gives it a sweet taste. There's significance in that. But even after making it sweetly favored, flavored, God tells him, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord, your God, and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his creeds, I will not bring any of those things, those diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Guys, I've supplied for you again in my mercy. I made your water drinkable, and I even made it flavored. Stick with me. I got this. I'm not going to let what happened to Egypt happen to you. All you have to do is listen carefully to the voice of the Lord. Lesson learned, right? I mean, that's a pretty big promise. It's a huge promise from the Lord. And look what he did for them time and time again. It's obvious that God is full of compassion. This morning we're going to look at Exodus 16 to see that even after this, they still don't get it. We tend to view this part of Exodus 16, the idea of quail and uh, manna as this, uh, what, uh, how to behave rightly, I guess I would call it. And, and we look at, uh, you know, how the, the, Egypt, the uh, 
the Hebrews in, in their, their journey out of Egypt kind of messed up as far as uh, hiding things. And I'm going to explore it this morning that I think if we listen very carefully to it, we are going to see this untold mercy of God in it. That time and time again, we see the voice of the Lord saying, I'm the Lord your God. I'm here with you in your misery and out of my mercy, mercy, I'm still speaking to your identity. I really want you to get my mercy at your identity, not in your moment. So Exodus 16 is a long chapter. And so I'm going to be reading uh, Exodus 16, 2 through 8, 13 through 14, 19 through 20, 23 and 27 through 28, to try to just get us an overarching 4,000-foot view of what's happening in this passage. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we at least sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out here into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Maybe Moses was so insecure because of the way his people viewed his leadership. You brought us out here to die. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. And the people go out each day, and they'll gather what they need for that day. And this way, I will test them to see whether or not they can follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are able to prepare for what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of him, because he has heard you grumbling against him. And the interesting part, let me just pause here for a minute about the glory of him, is it says that in the morning when they arose, not only was the manna there, but there was also a fall. Now, the, throughout the Old Testament, throughout the temple, the glory of the Lord is always represented by this kind of cloudy, smoky, burning incense kind of imagery. And so they were literally going to see the glory of the Lord every morning. That should be pretty encouraging to your identity. But who are we that you should grumble against us, Moses said. You will know it was the Lord, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want to eat in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but actually against the Lord. That evening quail came and covered the camp and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the dew was going, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. And that evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until the morning. So it was full of maggots, and it began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep until morning. Nevertheless, some of the people still went out on the seventh day. They went out on Sabbath morning to gather it, and they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? After timeless accounts of the compassionate heart of God meeting them on this journey and pouring out mercy on them, they continued to forget and forget again. Because of their hunger in the moment, they had actually said, only if we had died in Egypt. You know, 
we have this unhealthy attachment of viewing yesterday as a much more comfortable time than we really want to face. We tend to forget what the struggles were in the moment. Here, because they're a little hungry and they're a little thirsty, they would have rather went back into captivity where they didn't have their freedom, where they were dying off, and they said, you know what, it would have been better if we were back there in those glory days of captivity and we could die there. Now, you've probably heard the saying, hangry, that you're so hungry that you become angry. Well, these people are so hungry that they would have rather never tasted freedom or any of these provisions of the Lord's mercy, and they would have rather went back to this time in which they felt abandoned. That's crazy. That's crazy. But probably we could look at our lives and say that we mirror that too often. What a broken response, though, if we would admit to ourselves to the compassionate heart of God. Luckily, God is full of mercy, and he loves his people. Amen? He pours out mercy on them again. He tells them that he will provide food for them each morning, each night. They will have fresh quail covering the camp at night. And each morning they're going to have this manna, this bread. That's exciting. You don't have to go grocery shopping. You don't got to keep anything. Every morning it's fresh. And I I like deviled eggs. And if you've ever done that with quail eggs, they're really good. I mean, I'd be pretty excited about fresh quail every day. All they had to do was trust the Lord that he would provide for them each day. And they've had experience with his mercy. Each day, he has supplied for them. He has cared for them. All they needed was let go of the past and move into the present. Because with that came the presence of the Lord. But we as a people don't let go too easily. We trust God so weakly in our lives. Even though they were to trust God for their daily bread, some of them tried to keep it. They snuck back crumbs of comfort, only to find in the morning that their comfort had become rotten and full of maggots. This made Moses angry. And finally we see Moses is starting to get some confidence as a leader because he realized this is breaking God's heart and the Lord informs them that on Friday that they will get food to keep for Sabbath, for their day of rest. In his mercy, they won't need to get up and get food on Sabbath because God wants them to get into this regular rhythm of spending time in his presence. I will send you double on Saturday, on Friday, so that on Saturday, on your day of Sabbath, I can just engage my presence with you, and uh, your meal will already be taken care of. I mean, that's not a lot to ask for, right? God's going to give them extra food one day so that the next day they can spend presence with him. But they failed to even trust God with their Sabbath. Some would rather have presence than presence. Let me say that again. Some would have rather had the presence of God, the manna, the quails, in the morning than the presence of their Messiah. They would rather have their physical needs met than their spiritual. All he wants to do is spend Saturdays with them. They would rather have their hunger met than dine with the king. It's better to eat something fresh without the king than it was to eat leftovers with the king. Moses responds to his people. You guys don't get it, but when you grumble against us, you're not grumbling against us. You're grumbling against God himself. And likewise, God who has grown tired of their shenanigans says, How long will you refuse to depend on me? How long? Do you not get it? Do you not see what I've done time and time and time and time again? Why do you not get it here? I'm a God full of mercy, but I'm growing tired. Can't fathom that they would have rather went back to Egypt to die than depending on what the Lord was doing in the moment. 
Yet sometimes we are the same. We'd rather go back to our comforts of yesterday, ignoring the fact that they weren't really the days of comfort we remember them to be. How often do we grumble? How often do we doubt? How often do we chest our insecurities? How often do we hold on to the crumbs of comfort that we can, even when those crumbs become old and rotten? Like Moses, how many times do we approach the Lord time and time again with such whiny insecurity? Send somebody else. I'm not made to do that, okay? I'm to work 9 to 5 and have a good vacation home and get a lot of paid time off and have a good retirement plan. I'm not called to, oh, Lord, I would never do that, right? That's how we approach the Lord in our insecurity. With attitudes like that, we're not really sure that we believe God is able to do something through us. But remember who put the mouth on your head. Story shows us that despite all of our brokenness, God's compassionate heart is still full of mercy for us. And he wants to be with us in our misery. He doesn't want us to feel abandoned. He wants us to taste his mercy. He poured out that mercy for them every morning and every night and at every turn of the journey. Lamentations 3, 22 through 23 cries out, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Man, these Hebrews on their journey out of Egypt should have gotten that. We love to say this verse. We quote it. We put it in our Bibles. We highlight it. We underline it. We hang it on our walls. We put it in bathroom walls on stencils. We put it in coffee shops on stencils. It is everywhere I look. But do we get what it's saying? Because obviously the people who did experience it don't get what it's saying. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. You'll get bread every morning. My presence will be there every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The story of Moses is an orphan turned prince, turned murderer, turned insecure doubter, and it reminds us of this reality and lamentations. The steadfast of the Lord never ceases. Despite his issues, God uses Moses to lead his people. The story of God's people shows us that God wants to pour his mercy out on us despite our insecurities, our doubts, and our grumblings. All he wants in return is for us to spend some really quality time with him. This morning, I think there's a few ways that we can respond to this story. And I think that there's uh, four ways in which God really wants to invite us to experience his mercy or to allow him to pour it over us this morning. One, I think some of us, God wants to speak to us about our insecure identities. Like Moses, he wants to do more through you than you're willing to face or more willing to know. And maybe you keep justifying that you aren't to do greater things. And I think this morning the Lord, for you guys, wants to say, I want to pour out my mercy in a way that affects your identity so it's not insecure but confident in who I am. For others, I think there are some of you who God wants to invite you to rediscover his mercy that turns our grumblings into joy. Moses was quick to remind his people that grumbling wasn't against anyone. It was really against God. For those of you that feel this is for you, he wants you to let go of the past and the comfortable crumbs that you sneak into your presence so that you can move into his presence. For others, I think God wants you to know he is with you in your misery. Let him show you this morning as we close out. Like the leaders of the Hebrews, they bowed down and worshipped. I encourage you to do the same 
when God shows up. And lastly, I think there are still some of us that are not fully trusting God. We haven't allowed our identities or his steadfast love to really affect our identity in this way. He constantly showed up for Moses with every doubt. He gave him an identity of anything but an orphan and a murderer. He provided for his people at every grumble. And what circumstances are you still allowing to shape your life that are not from God? Where in your life are you still struggling to fully face and surrender this mercy of God? Let go so you may have his mercy and eternal life. And even as I say that, I think there might even be a fifth way to respond. If we are a community that's learning to live in love like Jesus, part of that is learning to mirror the characteristics of God. The characteristics of God are full of mercy, as we see in his story, time and time again. We tend to grow really tired of the people around us. We can easily get annoyed with their behavior or the things that we don't like about them. But here, if we are to be like God, we are to allow his mercy to affect us in such a way that it also flows out of us, that we are not pouring judgment, but uh, grace and mercy to those around us. 